This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips. Masters of Dispute Resolution is designed to provide those involved in the mediation process with the views of the most experienced and accomplished mediators and others experienced in the process. Through our discussions, you will gain insight into how to address and overcome difficult issues and achieve more satisfying results in mediation. Your host is Len Levy, mediator and arbitrator with ADR Services, Inc., a leading alternative dispute resolution provider. Lynn litigated complex cases for more than 30 years and has been a mediator since 1998 and is a member of the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. He has been recognized as a super lawyer in alternative dispute resolution each year since 2014. And now your host, Lynn Levy. Thank you, Daryl Wayne. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Masters of Dispute Resolution, a mini-seminar which will add tools to your mediation toolbox. We're brought to you by Lawyers Pacific Insurance Brokerage, Inc., the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals, and ADR Services, Inc. Uh, This afternoon, we're honored to have uh, someone who is an insurance expert and an expert on habitability issues and a colleague of mine uh, at ADR Services, uh, Mr. Lance LaBelle. Lance is is a very highly regarded uh, mediator and arbitrator and um, has been, uh, before embarking on on a career as a full-time neutral, uh, was an AB-rated attorney for over 30 years in a wide variety of of matters and specializing in insurance cases. I had the honor of being able to address uh, Lance's former firm, uh, Berger Kahn, uh, way back in the day on some insurance matters. And uh, I will tell you that, that Mr. LaBelle has, has uh, experience with a very knowledgeable uh, and, and great firm that helped I think uh, many people in 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 the insurance industry, and and certainly I think um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Lance, but I I think contributed greatly to your knowledge of insurance issues. Most certainly. Okay. Well, um, a- anyway, it, also getting into Lance's uh, approach to mediation, and and I, that's where I want to start. For the most part, uh, from our discussions, I'm getting the impression that you're. Pretty much, um, you're, you're largely evaluative, but, um, but will be, uh, adaptable to whatever the mediation calls for. Uh, can you, can you please just expand on, on your approach to mediation generally? Sure. And Len, thanks for having me here today. Uh, I look at every case as, a, as a, a unique entity. Uh, because, uh, there's so many variables that can impact how, uh, mediation progresses from the personalities of the individuals involved to, uh, the identity of those participating in the mediation to the lawyers that, uh, are, are representing their clients at the mediation. And, uh, and, and of course, not, not the least of which uh, would be the facts and the evidence that uh, that uh, impact uh, resolution and so every case i i look at as a potential to be settled but uh, but not to be handled in a cookie cutter fashion because uh, all of these variables come together in different ways to produce the result and so my philosophy is uh, 
more evaluative because people generally retain me because of my insurance expertise. And, uh, and that means, uh, getting on the phone and figuring out what the coverage landscape is before the mediation so that we can understand what are the critical issues that are going to affect what we do. And so it's, it's a process that begins before the mediation. The table is hopefully set before the mediation and then, uh, uh, we go from there. Now in setting the, the table before the mediation, uh, I, I know that you're a big fan of doing, uh, what, what I, I consider to be essential. And that is, uh, talking to the attorneys, uh, uh, before the mediation to get an idea of those kinds of things that he, that he or she may not be putting in a brief, but will help you, uh, help them. Can, can you, can you explain that just a bit more? Yeah, I think it's a, uh, it's a two-way valve. Uh, for those lawyers that are interested in scheduling a call, and, and, and most are, uh, not all, but most, um, I think that there's information that they want to impart to me that, uh, they are perhaps more comfortable, uh, disclosing, uh, in a confidential way, and they may give me some of those, uh, tips, and then I may have tips as well for them uh, in terms of things they might want to focus on. Can you please expand also on those kinds of things that you've learned in those early conferences that, that have helped you uh, just be, be specific in terms of, you know, it could be that there's a, that there's a fight between the attorney and the client over some issue. Uh, there may be, uh, a history between the parties, things of that nature. Uh, can you expand on, on those, some of those things that you found, uh, help you, uh, help them that, that you discover in those early conferences? Yeah, this is a, a long list. Uh, but, uh, first and foremost, who's going to be attending the mediation? And do we have uh, the real stakeholders in attendance, the real decision makers who are going to be able to affect the outcome? And and if not, uh, is there anything we can do to ensure that that transpires? And then uh, more stuff substantively, there are issues that are critical to resolution of, of many cases, not just habitability cases, such as is there a prevailing party attorney fee exposure? The attorney's fees drive a lot of these cases, as you know, Len, in your many years of practice. And so uh, do we have that exposure by contract or statute in a HAB case? Is it by way of the lease or is it by way of a statute such as 1942.4.5? Uh, and, uh, and on the insurance side, is there potentially coverage for that type of a claim? Because if there is that exposure, which can really drive the settlement or not, uh, then is, uh, is that an exposure that the insurance carrier or carriers might have or an exposure that their insured might have, in which case that can affect the dynamics of how we proceed, meaning is the carrier going to be asking the insured for a contribution towards settlement? And if that's going to happen, has the table been set for that before the mediation? Um, are there issues where maybe the insured's personal counsel will need to get involved 
If the case is going to settle with a mediator's proposal, ultimately, there may be time needed on the back end for the insurer to consult with personal counsel. There are so many different uh, aspects to this and things that we can talk about even before the mediation. And so uh, uh, what I try to identify what those pressure points and issues are, what are the things that we can get out on the table before the mediation, because, frankly, most of the work is done before you get there in terms of getting the case primed and prepped for consideration by insurance personnel, their supervisors, potentially home office management. And if the insured is going to be asked to make a contribution, ensuring that that is already established and that has been uh, set forth in a way so that there's no surprise attack. Surprises don't work very well at mediation, as you know. Right. Yeah, we're going to be taking a break right now. And when we come back, we are going to be getting into some of the issues that that Lance faces in dealing with habitability cases and uh, the tie-in to insurance. Uh, this is Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and we're speaking with Lance LaBelle. Masters of Dispute Resolution would like to thank ADR Services Incorporated, your partner in resolution, and its founder, Lucy Barron, for supporting this podcast. ADR Services is one of the leading providers of alternative dispute resolution in California. Leveraging technology to drive resolution, ADR Services is committed to dynamism in the face of growing client need and an ever-evolving legal climate. Now operating offices in all major legal markets of California, ADR Services provides unparalleled in-person and remote resolution services through its exclusive panel comprised of more than 130 of the most distinguished and talented neutrals across the state, capable of handling challenging and complex mediations, arbitration, and other procedures in every field of law. When you seek the services of a neutral and you want results and satisfied clients, contact ADR Services, www.adrservices.com. Thank you, Daryl. We're back uh, with Masters of Dispute Resolution, and today we're chatting with Lance LaBelle, uh, an insurance expert and mediator and arbitrator. Um, uh, you know, I threw an arbitrator here, Lance, but do you arbitrate a lot of cases? When I was with the American Arbitration Association, I did. Uh, since I've joined ADR Services, I'm focused on mediating exclusively. Okay. So, so one of the, one of the areas that, that Lance has expertise, and among the many areas that Lance has expertise, is habitability cases. Lance, what's a habitability case? So these are uh, can run the gambit from wrongful eviction claims to uh, uh, defective conditions of premises where tenants bring claims for bodily injuries, property damage, or uh, uh, other economic loss resulting from uh, anything from leaky roofs to cockroaches to bed bugs to uh, you name it, and uh, mold. And so uh, mainly the uh, it, it connotes uh, a, a general category of claims where tenants are bringing claims against landlords. Uh, sometimes the tenants still reside at the premises. Other times they've already moved out. And these can be cases that involve single or very few plaintiffs, or involve hundreds of plaintiffs. Uh, so they can uh, range in size and scope and complexity. 
So in, in approaching the uh, the habitability cases, uh, the first thing I I would imagine is okay. Let's let's get an idea of just how complex that these are, and uh, this one is, and uh, what uh, what parties need to be involved in this. Now, when you're talking about hundreds of plaintiffs, uh, we're talking about uh, something akin to the types of cases that I've, I've mediated with mass mass tort cases. And uh, how do you how do you approach a case when you're talking about hundreds of plaintiffs in being involved? Well, it's it's really interesting because nobody really wants to try these cases. They're not class actions. Uh, and plaintiff's counsel are going to have to put on their evidence on a per plaintiff basis, which is not an enviable task. And it also holds true for the defense. And so there's a, a strong incentive to get these cases resolved, which doesn't mean it's easy to do so. It just means that people are incentivized to get the cases resolved. And in approaching the case, it's important to identify whether there are any real hot button issues that, that, that really stand out. For example, I had a case once with, um, uh, uh, a hot water heater that wasn't property regulated and a diabetic, uh, plaintiff, uh, scalded her leg and had to have her leg amputated. It just so happened that that was a singular claim amidst many other habitability type claims involving cockroaches and such. And so that involved trying to uh, get to the bottom of that because that was obviously going to impact the overall negotiations because it was not otherwise a routine HAB case. And uh, uh, there were issues such as uh, uh, policy limits. Is that going to be a separate occurrence under the policy or is it going to be a uh, continuous uh, exposure to conditions that would only be viewed as one cause. In that case, uh, there was a, a debate over how many causes were involved and how many occurrences, which can, which can affect how many policy limits are involved. And in all these cases, we also have issues as to how many policies are implicated. If we have injury and damage having uh, happening over time, then we can involve more than one policy but oftentimes the policies have anti-stacking provisions, which don't allow the policies to stack, in which case you may be just looking at uh, a policy that's implicated, potentially umbrella coverage or excess coverage if that's also involved. So it's identifying all of these things, hopefully before the mediation, if you can, because getting to the mediation and for the first time trying to unravel all this is uh, not a recipe for success. So uh, that's uh, that's a general uh, thought about approach. Well, w- one of the one of the things uh, is, is that I mean, among the many things that that your your comments just bring up, uh, when we're talking about multiple plaintiffs, finding a common injury is one thing. When you're dealing with a bunch of common injuries and then somewhat of an outlier kind of injury means that, in effect, you're having to conduct numerous negotiations uh, over a um, over a period of time. And 
I, at least from from my experience, uh, if you don't have the carriers fully fully informed of the nature of the claims and the extent of the injuries, uh, you're you're in for a very long and unproductive day. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a- absolutely correct. And then uh, you think about a plaintiff's counsel who has uh, many cooks in the kitchen, many clients with different expectations, and uh, and then hopefully has the uh, uh, ability to settle the case without too much or any dissension amongst those clients. And then on the defense side, there can be finger pointing between defendants or between carriers, and sometimes there's actually a mediation that needs to take place before we come into the mediation with the plaintiff, or at least separate and apart uh, before the plaintiff joins the mediation and sits there doing nothing for three hours. And so uh, there's a lot of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of legwork and setting the table that needs to take place before you can really get into uh, constructive discussions. Yeah, otherwise it's going to be kind of like trying to turn the Titanic um, uh, at, at, at the last moment. So um, also when you're, you mentioned something that is, um, that brings up a, a, an issue that I had in a, in mass tort case. Uh, and, and that is if you have, uh, let's say a one attorney representing all of the plaintiffs in a multiple, uh, a multiple injury case, how do, how is it best approached in your experience with respect to the number? Uh, it, is it an individual, uh, let's negotiate each individual claim or is it let's negotiate a, a single number? And if it's a single number, what, what does the attorney do? Is he in a conflict situation? And it happens on both sides of the table. Uh, sometimes the defendants are going to want to uh, nego- negotiate as one number, and sometimes they want it broken out. And sometimes the plaintiffs will come to you and say, we have individual demands for each plaintiff. Sometimes the plaintiff's attorney will be inclined to do it as one number, but then the defense says, we want it broken out by plaintiff. And so all of that has to be fleshed out. If you can flesh it out before you get to the table, that's great. And if you can't, you need to figure all of that out. Uh, how is the defense going to be making offers? Um, are they going to be making joint offers? Are they going to be making separate offers? Is that going to be transparent? So the defendants or the carriers are sharing that information. And on the plaintiff side, are there going to be individual demands? It becomes unwieldy, obviously, the more plaintiffs you have. And so, uh, all of that has to get worked out. We are going to be getting it worked out a little bit more after our break. We are uh, talking to Lance LaBelle. This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on Podclips.io. Most attorneys need professional liability coverage, but very few are professional liability experts. And there are so many options when it comes to legal malpractice insurance. How do you know how much coverage you need? What should your policy limits be? What if you've had a past claim? You shouldn't have to take time away from helping your clients to research professional liability coverage. 
And with Lawyer Specific Insurance Brokerage on your side, you don't need to. Their professional liability experts shop California's leading insurance carriers to find your firm the right coverage at the best price. Lawyer Specific founders Al and Debbie Hernandez have over 50 years combined experience working with the highest rated providers of Lawyer's professional liability insurance. So trust the brokerage with access to over 40 carriers in California to find a cost-effective malpractice insurance solution for your firm. Go to LawyerSpecific.com and click Request a Quote. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is Len Levy, and I'm chatting with Lance LaBelle on Masters of Dispute Resolution. Uh, we are talking about large cases in habitability matters uh, and the need to set the table for those cases before you actually begin a mediation session. Um, when we broke, we were talking about some of the some of the insurance I- issues uh, and some of the issues that some of the carriers might have. Um, what are the what are the issues that generally crop up in if there is a generally in habitability cases that raise coverage issues for you? Well, uh I would say the the biggest issue, and this isn't necessarily just confined to habitability matters, is uh, getting a demand out from the plaintiff's counsel uh, before the mediation, and not just a day or two, but weeks before, so that the carriers can uh, do their roundtabling and line up their authority. Uh, so often I get to the mediation, and uh, and that hasn't properly happened, and the carriers uh, feel as though it's, uh, it's a surprise attack. And it's, it's up to the lawyers to try and get that uh, accomplished before the mediation. And the good lawyers, uh, uh, generally do send a demand and, and send their evidence along. Because if we're just doing that for the first time at the mediation, uh, it's worn for a long day or, or many days. Um, and some of the issues that impact coverage, uh, have to do with, uh, uh, some of the various defects, are they uh, separate in terms of cause such that we can talk about separate occurrences uh, or uh, is it all one occurrence? I have to tell you, most of the carriers look at HAB cases as one occurrence cases, but then there are these outlier claims such as I mentioned the uh, amputation where uh, uh, you can make convincing arguments otherwise. Uh, the stacking issue that I mentioned where you have continuous injury over time is one that comes up a lot. And are there anti-stacking provisions? Um, do we have exclusions that affect the, uh, the coverage? If it's a mold claim, it's most likely excluded. Uh, if it's a lead claim, if you go back far enough in time, some of the older policies may not have lead exclusions. And even some of the newer ones haven't, haven't, uh, adjusted to that exposure and, and so you have to look at whether or not there are exclusions that are going to impact the coverage, the supplementary payments or additional coverage sections of the policies, meaning are we going to have coverage for prevailing party attorney's fees if that exposure exists? That's a big one. Um, umbrella coverages, uh, different policies between carriers, identifying the policies over time because the language changes over time. And uh, all of this, uh, is impactful in terms of, uh, of, of coverage. 
And then are there claims that uh, by the carrier where they're requesting the insured to make contributions? Uh, have they reserved rights to do that? Are there bus defense reimbursement claims? Was the reimbursement of defense fee claims? Are there Kumis issues involved, meaning 2860 civil code issues, right to independent counsel? Are there rights under Blue Ridge to get recoupment of the settlement? Is that being raised? Uh, I think I could probably give you a laundry list of, of 100 issues. Right. And you have to hone in on what, what are the ones that are really going to be impactful. Right. So so from a standpoint of mediating those cases, uh, there is a real advantage that you have having subject matter expertise. Uh, I, I, I'm gathering that. Uh, and uh, look, my, my philosophy has always been, look, it's, it's much more important to understand, uh, the, uh, the process and have the process expertise. However, there are certain situations in which if you don't have subject matter expertise, you're, you may not be able to have a handle on how to resolve those issues. Um, and is that, that's the, that's the primary message I'm getting from you on, on habitability cases. Is that, is that correct? I, I think, I think that is, uh, I, I think the subject matter expertise never hurts and always can help. Uh, and in some cases it's more indispensable than, than others. Um, but I've also learned as, as I become a better mediator that, um, I'm able to handle a wider variety of cases because of my experience. And because I generally work with, with good lawyers who brief the case and get me up to speed and I can prepare to learn what I need to know. And so, um, I don't think subject matter expertise is overrated. I think that there are times it's indispensable, but I also think that, uh, a good mediator can probably get his or her hands around, uh, the matter, uh, and, uh, and, and mediate a wide variety of cases. What are the, what are the mistakes that you've, if you can give some examples too, what are the mistakes that attorneys make in approaching habitability cases uh, beyond just general prepare, you know, not being prepared, not being, uh, not having the insurance company involved, that type of thing. Uh, is there, is there anything that, that you found and can give an example of where, where someone has, you know, you, they've taken a, a, an approach that, uh, that is not productive? Well, I think right at the top of the list is setting realistic settlement expectations with the client or clients. Um, I think too often, uh, that doesn't happen. And, uh, on the plaintiff side, it may be demands that, uh, uh, leads to clients having expectations that far exceed what is likely to happen if we're going to get the case settled. And, uh, and I think that that ha- can happen on the defense side too. And, and the reality is, is that, uh, th- 
not everything is perfect. Uh, a lot of, we have busy attorneys and sometimes, uh, either because of that or for other reasons, or maybe discovery is not far enough advanced where information hasn't been exchanged. The decision makers, the people that write the checks or the plaintiffs, uh, are not primed and prepped to mediate to a, a tipping point where a case is likely to settle. And so, I'd say that's right at the top of the list is expectations, either because uh, there hasn't been adequate communication, there hasn't been adequate discovery. But then the flip side of that is sometimes the more discovery that's transpired, the more the attorney's fees and costs are invested and the more exposure you have for that, and then the expectations go up. And so um, it, it can work that way as well. I, I want to take the uh, I want to take our listeners kind of behind the scenes. We're going to be getting into this in a second, but the behind the scenes is your conversations with the, on the on the defense side. Your conversations are typically they typically start with the attorneys, correct? I mean that's that's who's generally there. Mm-hmm. However, there are also there are also carrier representatives there and so we're going to take a break but when we come back what i want to discuss is how those conversations go and how the uh and and how you can best be armed for those conversations this is len levy we're on Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io. We're speaking with Lance LaBelle, and we will be back. Masters of Dispute Resolution is sponsored by the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. NADN is the premier invitation-only association of civil mediators and arbitrators in the United States with members in every state of the nation. Only experienced ADR professionals who are widely acceptable to local plaintiff and defense firms are invited to join the Academy's roster. The Academy's website, NADN.org is the most widely visited neutrals database in the world today. With over 40,000 law offices, insurance companies, and corporations visiting our free website annually. Firms can search for neutrals by many criteria, including location, case expertise, qualifications, language skills, and most NADN members also publish their available dates, calendars, online making NADN.org the go-to website for law firms wishing to schedule appointments online with their preferred mediators. For more information, please visit www.NADN.org today. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. This is Len Levy, and I am chatting with Lance LaBelle, who is an expert in insurance matters and in habitability cases. Uh, when we broke, we were, we were talking about conversations with the insurance carriers. And one of the things that, uh, I found in, in cases that I've mediated, uh, many of which we have, have insurance issues as well is having the difficult conversations with the carriers. 
they've they've roundtabled it. They've they've had their meetings with a bunch of people, and you're talking to somebody who has to justify a decision or a recommendation to someone above him or her. And, uh, that doesn't, it, and, and it doesn't matter how high up you go. There's always a justification that somebody has to give. Can, Lance, can you please tell me, uh, what are some of the more difficult things that you have to overcome with carriers when talking to them and you want to get more money from them? Uh, and what can attorneys on the plaintiff side do? to assist you in that endeavor? Okay, great question. Um, most of the time, uh, and we do have uh, line adjusters now attending mediations by Zoom where maybe they wouldn't have flown in for the mediation. And so we have adjusters from all over the place uh, participating, which is helpful. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I like to do is uh, to take the the adjuster aside during the course of the mediation. And I let folks know at the beginning of the mediation that I'm going to be doing some sidebars. There's times I may get the attorneys together. I may speak to the attorney separately. I may speak with the adjuster, the claims representative separately. And the defense lawyers generally understand I'm going to do that because if they're retained by the carrier, if they're a panel attorney or an in-house attorney for the carrier, they know they're not to be involved in insurance coverage issues, and so I may have that discussion separately. And I get a lot of valuable information in talking to the claims representatives separately, privately, in terms of what their settlement expectations might be and what they're trying to accomplish. And I also appreciate they're there with set authority. They're not there with an unlimited checkbook. And so what I'm going to need to do is help them. So many of the mediations now end up settling with mediators' proposals because we're using positional bargaining and going back and forth. Maybe I've done a mediator's proposed bracket with confidential responses to try and close the gap. But there's oftentimes impasse or at least intransigence in terms of moving. And then the question is, is the case one where folks are interested in proposals? And more and more they are. And what that does is it allows the claims representative with time on the back end to go up and channel it up the, the carrier, up the, the supervisory, uh, uh, channels and, uh, round table it. And they actually most of the time will breathe a sigh of relief because they're not there to make the call. They can't make the call because perhaps it's going to take more authority than they have. Perhaps. And if it does, then uh, that, that gives them an opportunity to go and roundtable it with uh, with their superiors. So that helps them. What the plaintiff's attorneys can do is to transmit the information, if it hasn't been transmitted already, that the claims people will then use and the defense attorney will use to properly report on the case to justify the authority that may be needed to settle the case. And there are times when we get to the mediation and, oh, you don't have the photos, oh, you don't have the medical reports, you're missing this, and the information hasn't come out either because they haven't done enough discovery to accomplish that, uh, or uh, sometimes uh, some lawyers are unaware of what's in their file. It can happen. 
Sometimes we get the partners at the mediation and maybe they haven't been dialed in on the ground floor. It's been one of the uh, associates that's been working the case. And so it's an information exchange. It's getting the information out there, hopefully before the mediation, but if not during the mediation, to justify what may be a mediator's proposal to get the case resolved. So when you are... When you are thinking about the right people at the mediation, what does that really connote to you? Because obviously, as you say, there are times, and most times, I, I, I suspect, uh, and, and actually that's been my experience, most times the representative really doesn't have the, uh, doesn't have the authority. Uh, now often you'll get a response from the attorney. What? They were supposed to have some, uh, the plaintiff's attorney. They, they were supposed to have somebody there with, with complete authority to settle the case. And, and one of the things that I found is that there are many times that the plaintiff's attorney has also given a confidential brief, uh, in, in, in that kind of situation. Um, in, in habitability cases, uh, I suspect you're encouraging people, share the briefs, share the information, give everything that you need, give the carrier every reason to say yes. Don't be afraid they're going to say no. Uh, give them every reason to say yes, because they need to justify it. Uh, that generally correct? It's absolutely correct. Uh, I, in, my welcome emails, uh, when I introduce myself after I've been retained, I encourage folks to exchange briefs. 90% of what people put in their brief can be exchanged. Uh, there may be that 10% that they don't want to, and they can give me a call or give me a pocket brief that addresses that confidential information or an email. Uh, but uh, most of it could be exchanged, and it's a big time saver, too, because then we're not at the mediation trying to figure out what what do you want to exchange and what don't you want to exchange. And uh, to sit in, in a mediation for three hours exchanging information and then have somebody say to you, boy, we've been doing this for three hours and we haven't even made an offer or demand yet. Well, we would have made an offer or demand had there been a, a good exchange of information uh, before the mediation and, uh, and set that table. Can you give me an example of a, a case that you mediated that had, uh, the difficult issues overcome in perhaps a, a, a creative way? Yes. I can think of a mediation where we had a, um, a carrier that uh, had declined defense, and uh, we were at the mediation, and uh, one of the defendants was uh, without insurance coverage, and uh, and the uh, prevailing view was that the carrier that had declined defense was recalcitrant, and uh, and should have stepped up to the table and provided a defense, and so the way that case resolved was with uh, a payment of money uh, by the individual who was not uh, uh, afforded coverage and uh, and then uh, a, a stipulated judgment against that individual, partial satisfaction of the judgment, the money that the individual paid, 
covenant not to execute, and then uh, the plaintiff, judgment creditor, with the right to proceed against the carrier on the balance of the unsatisfied judgment. Uh, and uh, I'm not there as a mediator to set up insurance carriers, but I am there to look to the lawyers who often have coverage counsel to come up with creative solutions. As a mediator, you're always in that uh, dilemma of crossing over between mediator and advisor. I'm not the coverage attorney for either side, but I am the facilitator. And so I will facilitate creative resolutions uh, so long as I'm not putting on my attorney hat and becoming their, their lawyer. Lance, I, I so enjoyed this conversation. We are out of time, unfortunately, and uh, I, I appreciate this. Perhaps uh, we will be able to do this again in the future. And um, Lance, before we leave, uh, how can people best uh, contact you? Uh, they can go to the ADR services website and, uh, and they'll find, uh, they'll find me listed there with my bio and, and the way to contact me. And, uh, they can also just Google my, my name and they'll go to my, my personal website as well. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Daryl Wayne, uh, engineer and, uh, and also producer on this. Uh, I'm Len Levy. This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io, powered by Infogen Labs, Inc. And until we meet again, stay well, keep listening, and remember, peace of mind is enhanced when conflicts are resolved. If you wish to contact Len Levy, you can reach him through his email at lslevy at adrservices.com, through Len's website, lenlevymediate.com, Telephone him at 818-903-5562 or contact his case manager at ADR Services, 213-683-1600.